Good morning, everyone. If you can find your seat, we are going to hear the word of the Lord. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 12. Again, this is from Luke chapter 12. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we... uh... We thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and to hear from you. No one here needs to hear from me, but what we do need, every single one of us, is to connect to you and hear from your words of life. We ask that your spirit would uh, work in our hearts today so that we can encounter you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I I love baptisms, and this morning, this is really special just to have that. We're going to have some more in the second service, and there's something thrilling for me anyway to participate in baptism because there's something very special and significant taking place. There's this bold picture of baptism that you see in Galatians chapter 3, and this is what verse 27 says. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You know, baptism is something that is done to you, as you just saw. It's something that God actually does. It's a promise he makes. It's a reality that he affects to those who believe in him. And then what it does is not only bring you into his family, literally it says you put on Christ. You put him on and this word baptism, um, scholars argue about its uh, roots, variations of what it means. But one of the ways this word was used in the ancient world was this. It was used by those who dyed cloth. You know, it was one of the words. They said they would baptize the cloth, meaning you take something, you put it in dye, it comes out and it's altered, it's changed, it has a new color. And this is what baptism is all about, right? Clothing yourself in Christ, putting on Christ. You have a new identity, Jesus himself. And that you're part of a family, as David said, that is completely forgiven in Jesus. And this is why we use water, right? For washing. Because baptism is a way of saying you are clean if you're in Jesus, not through keeping of the law. Now, all of these things are pretty wonderful. And you may remember your own baptisms for those of you who are Christians. And you remember celebrating God's work in your life. And I know as soon as you get beyond all of the joy of that, oftentimes, very quickly, we start asking the question, how do you sustain this? You know, because it isn't always a smooth sailing from here on out. Being a disciple of Jesus is challenging. 
And in Luke chapter 12, this is what Jesus has been pointing out to us. Actually, the chapter begins with, if you recall, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He is warning the disciples about hypocrisy. Beware of those teachers, these false teachers. And of course, look for the leaven in ourselves. Be aware of it yourselves. And then in verse 4 through 12, Jesus begins to talk about persecution. Again, a very discouraging topic. That there are literally people who are physically persecuted and threatened because they want to worship Jesus. Still happens around the world today. And the persecution we may experience here, maybe with a very small P, is it may be more along the lines of being ridiculed for our faith, perhaps. Mocked. And Jesus warns his disciples to be ready for this kind of discouragement. In the last week, we saw Jesus warn his followers to watch out because of life's anxieties, easily divert our attention away from God's faithful care of us. And it leads us to trust in things like our wealth and our possessions to feel significant, secure. And he reminded us, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what Jesus has been saying is he wants us to put our faith and trust in his kingdom. That should be our treasure, not our money or any other hope that the world holds out for us because all of those things are very temporal. And Jesus is telling us, I understand all of you who are my followers. This is not going to be easy. So in verse 35 today, the passage we're looking at, it starts with stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. In other words, it is critical that his followers orient their lives around this reality of the gospel. Okay? And it isn't enough just to be excited about Jesus for that moment. But a relationship with him has to be cultivated and constantly tended to. You know why he's saying this? Because this verse, and Jesus is, I think, uh, trying to allude to this, is that no matter how spiritually connected you feel to Jesus, over time, these feelings are probably going to diminish. And if you've been a Christian a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you first become a Christian, you are so excited, and you think that sense of joy is never, ever going to fade away. But the minute you stop giving your utmost attention to God, is the minute it feels like all those things start to fade away. You know, it's kind of like a campfire. Or if you have a fireplace in your house and you get that fire going, what do you have to do to keep it going? You have to tend to it. You have to make sure air flows through it. You have to make sure to put another log on it because if you stop, that fire is going to eventually go out. And we see this spiritually with Jesus' own disciples, right? Think about it. These people were with Jesus for three years. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. They experienced his love. But on the night he was arrested, they couldn't even stay awake with him in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And as Jesus was, let's say, handcuffed and being taken away, if you remember, Peter denied him three times when people asked him, don't you know this guy? Weren't you with him? The rest of the disciples, they weren't any better. They all scattered and hid. Now, if they're prone to that, I mean, I don't think we are immune to all of this. Does this mean we're never really going to be children of God and we just have to be discouraged? No. I mean, 
we have to remember Jesus forgives and welcomes, restores spiritual failures like the disciples and us. But here's what I want us to remember. Look, some of you have experienced, had experience of, of God at certain points in your life. And it has left this emptiness in you because you realize nothing can replace that joy and you desperately want to experience that again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's some of you here today. Others of you are saying, you know, I've heard about this thing and I really want to experience it. I want to taste and see that God is good. My Christian friends have told me about it. I know I'm missing something in my life, something about the fullness that Jesus offers, and I want that today. I want to connect with that, so help me do that. And in this passage, here's what I want us to see. Jesus is saying, he is telling his disciple, this is what you need to do to keep this fire going. You have to be in a state of readiness, watchfulness, Don't let the fire go out. Keep your eye on the ball. Don't lose your focus and tend to this relationship you have with me. Because his point is, I am going to go away one day and you need to manage until I return. And this is verse 40. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the question is, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you have a life where you live in the light of Jesus' return, and these things are so real to you. And let's go back to verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. In the King James Version, there's a phrase for this. Keep your loins girded. That's another way of roll up your sleeves because in the ancient Near East, people had these flowing robes that kept you from moving quickly. So when they needed to move quickly, what would they do? They would grab a hold of all of the clothes, and tuck it in their belt so they were ready for action. And Jesus gives us this illustration of a master who's gone away to a wedding who's going to return at night. And by the way, did you ever notice that all of Jesus' teaching about the second coming, about his return, seems to always happen at night? And why is this? Nighttime is when you get sleepy. Nighttime is when you're tired. You lose focus at the task and hand is like kind of shifting and you don't know where you are. You are spiritually sleepy, Jesus is saying. And he says, be like these servants who are ready to serve. And what do they do? They keep the lights on. That is, keep the lamp from running out of oil and the wick from burning out. So what does it actually mean to be ready and to keep the lamp burning? Rather than dozing off spiritually, we are to remain focused on Jesus and his kingdom as our treasure. Cultivate this over all other priorities. And the Bible continues to warn us and encourage us to wake up. Stay awake. Stay alert. You know, the Apostle Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 13. Listen to this from verse 11. He says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. He also says in Ephesians 5, verse 14, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul goes on to lay out what the will of the Lord is. Specifically, we are to be imitators of God, he says. The way you do this is to be alert and understand to the eternal realities of the good news and let those things affect us more than all other temporal realities. To keep Jesus as our treasure where he continues to be our security and our significance, our hope, And you begin to allow that to shape who we are, what we do, and even how we feel. And maybe some of you are saying, you know, that that feels so theoretical. Can you help me here? Give me something practical. Look, here's the thought. You know, you might have had an annual review, and you have a manager who is incredibly blunt, perhaps not too gentle or tactful. And let's say she comes to you and says, you know, your performance has been mediocre, average, not outstanding or exceptional. And oftentimes when we hear that, anything that says average is bad now, I realize. You know, when I went to school, a C was like average, not too terrible, right? But now you get a C, that's like an F. And I think people are thinking, you know, this is awful. How can this be? And you feel so discouraged and sad about it, and perhaps rightly so. And you might disagree with the evaluation, but that's not the point. But if you're in Christ, here's how you manage this, perhaps. You say, there is something your manager cannot touch that you know about yourself. That your heavenly Father cares for you, and he sent his one and only Son to die for you. And that you have resurrection life in him. There's something that no one can take that away from you. That's just real and true. And you know what? That keeps you from being absolutely crushed by your performance review because your whole sense of self is no longer tied to that. You get a chance to look at yourself and honestly assess where you need to grow professionally, right? And you, could be, you might be able to say, perhaps this role isn't a best fit for me and I need to look for something different. But here's the point. You can do all of this without being devastated or bitter, Because you know your sense of significance and worth is not limited to your performance or the review of it. There is something unchanging, unremitting, and constant that's in your life. This is the greater reality. You know, you think about what does it mean to keep your lamp burning? It means to not let the light of Jesus' truth be diminished in you. And oftentimes that means that we have to perhaps counsel our hearts to remind ourselves that he is my health and my salvation. You know, the only thing, again, that's not going to be taken away, my treasure in heaven, this thing which God has bestowed on me. I didn't earn it. It was given to me. It's a gift from God. And you keep that light burning. And when someone has betrayed you, perhaps a close friend's, Perhaps when someone criticizes you, disappoints you, you keep the truth of that light burning. It doesn't mean those things didn't happen. 
but you keep those voices from shaping you into a person of bitterness and anger, and you find yourself repeating the words of something like Colossians 3, where it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I mean, this is a practical way to root yourself in a new creation that you are in Jesus Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. These are small ways to stay ready, to live a life of holiness, generosity, humility, courage. And Jesus is saying there is this incredible temptation to move away from that and do something else. And this is why he says in verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And in verse 38, he says, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Sort of focus and watchfulness is contrasted really with those, obviously, who are not ready, whose light has gone out, who's going to be asleep. But Jesus keeps saying, blessed are those who remain awake. You know, there once was a man traveling through Europe and he came across a lovely but secluded estate on kind of a very serene lake, tranquil lake in Switzerland. He goes up to the house. He's just intrigued by it. He knocks at the gate and an elderly caretaker opens the door and invites him in. You know, this guy's really happy to just have someone to keep him company and he begins to show him the garden. And the grounds. And the tourist asked him, you know, how long have you been living here? He said, oh, 24 years. That's what I've been doing. Gosh, how often does your master return? How often has he returned? You know, it's like in 24 years, he's come here four times. Four times. When was the last time he came? Oh, about 12 years ago. So I'm almost always alone here. And I am very happy to get visitors. So I'm very happy you visited today. And the guy's looking around and he wants to make sure he feels good. He said, you know, although your master's not here, this place looks like in perfect order. And everything is as if you are expecting your master to return tomorrow. And the caretaker says, no, sir. I have this thing set up and fixed up as if he were coming today. This is the attitude Jesus covets in his followers. This is the attitude. We are to be ready as if he is going to be here today. You know, some of us feel distant from Jesus because we came to faith years ago and decided, you know what? I need a little time for myself. Let me live the life I want first. There's plenty of time later to deal with spiritual stuff. Let me have some fun. Let me achieve the things I want to, but I have to give my time to my career, my family, all my hopes and dreams first, and I'll get to Jesus when I'm ready. But remember in verse 40, it says, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the point is, you don't know when he's coming. That's for certain for every single person. But the one reality that's true is he will return, you see. So the passage, the central question that we have to ask ourselves is, when Jesus comes, knocks at the door, will he find us ready? Or will we be asleep having the lamp gone out, you see? Because in verse 36... 
when the master comes home from the wedding and knocks, he wants his people to be ready to open the door to let him in. To open the door when he knocks. And it reminded me of an illustration from the book of Revelation where Jesus comes and knocks at the door in Revelation chapter 3. You guys know this image? It's written to the church in Laodicea, which had gotten very spiritually lukewarm. And in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What a, what a beautiful picture that Jesus is knocking. Just open the door. He's going to come in and he's going to be with you. And this is an image of Jesus with his church, his disciples. He's at the door. And by the way, Jesus is always at the door, okay? And we never know when he's going to come back a second time, but he is always ready. He wants to come in. But it's interesting to note in verse 20, it's not only about Jesus coming in glory, but it's about this anticipation of his coming. And he's ready always and wanting to have a relationship with us. And if any person opens that door to Jesus, he's going to come in, sit down with you, He's going to eat with you. And you know what this suggests? The solution to our wanting more of Jesus is to stay awake, be ready, and actually open the door. It's actually not a difficult teaching to understand, you know, but it's actually hard to pull off. In the Gospel of Luke, if you think about it, there's a whole kind of list of images that come along that showed Jesus knocking on the door. And I want to just pick three that are unique to Luke to explain how this works. You know, in Luke chapter 10, which I preached on a few weeks ago, Jesus shows up at Martha and Mary's house and he knocks on the door. They invite him in. And that's a scene where Mary's sitting and Martha's very busy. But when they open the door and invite him in, you know what happens? Their lives are changed. There's great blessing. You go to Luke chapter 19, you see Jesus is walking through the streets and there's this man named Zacchaeus. He's kind of short in stature. He really, really wants to meet Jesus. So he gets up in a tree because he can't see over people. And Jesus, as he's walking by, sees Zacchaeus and he says, you know what? Hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I need to go to your house. I'm going to stay there today. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And you know what Zacchaeus says? He receives him joyfully. And it's this season of remarkable change in his life, and he comes to faith, and it's an amazing scene. Again, he invited Jesus. He opened the door. In Luke 24, you have two people on their way back from Jerusalem as they are walking with a stranger who happens to be Jesus, but they don't recognize him. When they get to their house, he's ready to continue on his journey, but without even Jesus knocking on the door, you know what they do? They say, stay with us. It's really late. Come in. And Jesus stays with them. And they receive this wonderful blessing when the gospel is open to them and their lives are absolutely turned upside down. This is how things work in the gospel of Luke. You know, he's saying there's going to be a day when Jesus actually shows up and knocks. And when you hear his voice, invite him in. 
If you've heard his voice before, this passage is saying, maybe you need to make sure to be ready to be focused on this so your heart and our minds and everything else doesn't drift. And Jesus is saying, you know, when you do this, and I love verse 37, he is so happy. This is an astonishing verse. He said, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Do you see what happens? He comes in and you know what he begins to do? Instead of the servant serving him, he's serving them. He's reclining at the table with them. He's reclining at the table with you. He's saying, you know, you're going to get more of me. You're going to experience the joy of knowing me. You're going to experience life change. You're going to experience confidence, security, because he is with you. He's ready to do this. And you know what? We know this is true because when Jesus went to the cross, he was ready. He kept the light burning to say, this is my mission and I will do this so that one day my disciples can know me, dine with me, be with me, to make them part of my family. This is a God that we are called to trust, to wait on, to invite in. And that's what we're invited to do, to keep that light burning, be ready, and to say, hey, I'm going to keep my mind here and my heart here and follow him. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, this morning we thank you that you give us words to challenge us, give us words also to comfort us, that Jesus, you delight to come in and to sit and to dine with us. What a beautiful picture of what you want um, for us. And this is something that can be life-changing, and we ask that this morning that you would allow your spirit to meet us in this profound way so we would know the joy and to feel encouraged so that we would continue to walk with you, to experience you, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time. And we pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen.